Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and we want to welcome you. And uh, especially if this is your first time, we're glad you're here with us. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And uh, it might take a while. Maybe you'll get lucky and open right to it. Uh, but look around and see if you can't find the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And as you do that, um, I just want to tell you today that um, it's my goal and it's my prayer uh, and I've been praying for you in this, that over these next four weeks, that God is going to stir something up in your heart, uh, that he's going to do something in your life, that he's going he's to stir something up in your heart as a way of helping you understand that you have a part, that every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've got a part, you've got a role to play, and that he wants to use you uh, to change the world. He wants to do that in your life and in mine. Because here's what I believe. Um, I believe that God has a purpose for your life. Uh, that he has a purpose, that he created you, that he knit you together in your mother's womb. And it is his desire that you would come to salvation and know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it's more than that, too, that not only would you know him, but that you would join him, that you would say, God, you can use me. God, you, you've given me this life. You've given me these circumstances. You've given me these gifts. And I believe that you want to use me, God, in a significant way to change the world and to bring, and first and foremost, to bring glory to his name. Now you might hear something like that and think to yourself, really? Whoops. Just put that over there. I'm going to knock that over. Uh, use me. I mean, you want to use me to change the world, God? I mean, I, I change diapers for a living, you know? I mean, I, I answer telephones. I mean, I got pregnant as a teen. I've been running from God for a really long time. I mean, I'm just an ordinary person. How is it that you would want to use somebody like me? Now, see, that's the beautiful thing about our God. I mean, our God specializes in using ordinary people like you and me. And that's sort of the driving force behind this story here in the book of Nehemiah, the story that we're going to look at today and over these next few weeks. Uh, we're going to find that Nehemiah was a pretty ordinary guy. Now, who was he? Well, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes at the time. And I want you to notice from the very beginning that he's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a warrior. He's not a king. Nehemiah is the cupbearer. Now, now, what does the cupbearer do? Well, the cupbearer guards the king's cup. I mean, it's his responsibility to look after the king's cup, to make sure that no one poisoned the king's drink. And so every time the king was thirsty, Nehemiah would come along, he'd take a drink first. You know, I mean, if an hour passed and he didn't croak, you know, the king knew he could take a drink. Now, you might look at something like that. That doesn't sound like a bad job. You know, I mean, if you love wine, you know, I mean, especially for Nehemiah, you might think, hey, that doesn't sound bad. It's well, it's not bad until the drink gets poisoned, all right? I mean, then it's a really bad day and you get replaced. And so we could say that Nehemiah was like a glorified butler or something. But all that changes one day when he hears some news that really breaks his heart. And, and with that, God begins this process of training and raising up Nehemiah to change the world. So we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. If you're there and you want to follow along with me, it starts like this. Verse 1 says, The words of Nehemiah... Son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now let's break that down just a little bit here. What's Kislev? Well, Kislev isn't on our calendar. It's not a month on our calendar today, but it's around that time of the year, around November, December. It's that time of the year when people are typically hanging up their Christmas lights. All right, but, but they're not doing that in the Mideast. They're not hanging up lights because Jesus hasn't been born yet. I mean, this is the year 444 B.C., so it's over 400 years before Jesus Christ is born. Now, where's Susa? Well, Susa is what we know as modern-day Iran today. Pick it up in verse 2. It says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah 
with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, let me just give you a little historical background here. You know, the walls of Jerusalem had been lying in ruin for some time now. This was was really embarrassing to God's people, but not only was it embarrassing, but it left them incredibly vulnerable to outside attacks. It, it would sort of be like this. You know, we all remember the horrific events of 9-11, all right, and the day that the World Trade Center towers came crashing to the ground. Now, imagine with me for a moment, if you would, now some over 10 years later, if all of the concrete and all of the beams, you know, from that destruction were still lying, you know, in a pile in ruins today, you know, in New York City. I mean, you can imagine how that would affect morale. I mean, you can imagine what that would do to people. And, and that's sort of what it's like here in Jerusalem. I mean, the people of God, the people of Jerusalem were depressed. I mean, they, they were all out of hope. They were stuck in this place thinking that life was never going to get better again. I mean, the walls of their city had been destroyed. Now, how did that happen? Well, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that God repeatedly told the people over and over again. He told the people, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, if you don't do what I say, there will be consequences for your disobedience. And sure enough, you know, time and time again, people turned their backs on God, turned them to other things. They worshiped false gods. You know, they worshiped these false idols. Their sacrifices were displeasing to God and God was good to his word. I mean, he did what he told them he would do. There were consequences for their disobedience. And, and eventually God allowed the outsiders, he allowed the Babylonians, the enemy, to come in to wipe out the city of Jerusalem and many of the people along with it. Uh, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the temple, the place where the people worshipped God. And while in town, the Babylonians tore down all of the walls of the city and took many of the Jewish people back into captivity all the way back to Babylon with them. And time passes, and just like my Western civilization professor, Dr. Roberts, would have told me at Lincoln Land Community College, you know, power shifts at this point in history. The Persians are the great new power in the world, and so they take over, uh, take over Babylon. They've got control now, and not only do they have control of the Babylonian people, but they also have control of all of the Jewish people who had been taken into exile back to Babylon. And, but over time... The Persian rulers allowed a, a small group of the Jewish people to return back to Jerusalem. Uh, just a small group. It's a remnant, you know, as the Bible calls them here. And so they're allowed to go back to Jerusalem to begin the process of rebuilding the temple. And they did. I mean, they put it back together, but it was nothing like the temple of old. I mean, it was a makeshift sort of temple at best. It was the best they can do. And once they got the temple in place, well, then they started worshiping God again. But there was one problem. Their city had no walls. And walls were important to any city that hoped to fortify themselves at this time in history. I mean, the walls are gone. And so this left the Jewish remnant completely vulnerable to outside attacks. It left them humiliated as a people. And so people lived in fear. And I mean, the whole nation was a mess until one day, one man, a cupbearer, an ordinary guy named Nehemiah had a, a Popeye sort of a moment. Now, 
when I say Popeye, I mean, how, how many of you remember watching the cartoon Popeye as a kid? You've got some Popeye people in here. All right, lots of people. Uh, we, we all know the, the story of Popeye. Uh, what, was, what did Popeye eat for his strength? Spinach, all right. Uh, who, who was Popeye's girlfriend? Olive oil, all right. And the nemesis, the antagonist in the story? Brutus, right. Well, every Popeye episode sort of went the same way, didn't it? I mean, Popeye would sort of find himself in a mess. I mean, he's tied up and maybe sinking to the bottom of the ocean at just about the same time that Brutus is up to his sinister ways and he's got olive oil and they're on the run and Popeye's completely frustrated. All right, there, there's nothing he can do about it. And, and just about every episode, there always came that point and he'd say that same line over and over again. What did he say? He said, that's all I can stands. I can't stands it no more. All right, and there just happened to be a can of spinach nearby. You know, and he'd grab it and he'd eat it and he'd get his strength and he's on the run once again to save the day. Well, as a dad, I've sort of played that Popeye rescuer role on many occasions. Dads, you know, you, you might be able to relate with me uh, in this. Like, for example, um, it, well, it's almost summertime, all right? And so we know that's beach time. I love going to the beach. My family loves going to the beach. And we went to the beach last summer. And, and I had to play that rescuer role last year at the beach with my little three-year-old, Kate. Now, it wasn't a horrifying water rescue, and there wasn't a shark involved in the story, but instead a bee, like a bumblebee, a really big bumblebee. And I don't like bees, all right? And evidently, Kate doesn't like bees either. And I've never really known there to be many bees at the beach, but there was on this day. And Kate was playing in the sand, and she's got this floral-looking bathing suit with these flowers all over it. And so evidently, the bee was attracted to the suit. And so she's over digging in the sand, and, and this bee just won't leave her alone. And finally, she figures out what's happening as this bee's landing on her and flying around her head. Well, she blew a fuse. I mean, she got up. I mean, she went ballistic and she's running around screaming. Well, I finally figure out what's going on. I got to jump out of my chair. And so I get out of my chair and, and I go running over to her. And all I can do, I, I scoop her up with one arm. And so I'm holding her with my left arm, just holding her by an arm. And, and I'm in between Kate and the bee. And I reach down into the sand at that moment. And I pick up the biggest plastic sand shovel I can find. And, and all I can say is that beekeeper, I, I just kind of start like thinking about leaning into the pitch, you know, like it's a fastball coming at me. But the problem is I could never hit a fastball. And so if you'll just pretend it's like a softball coming in. But, but I'm here. I got Kate in one arm and I swing and I let into this bee and I launch it like a, a shot over the center field wall into the ocean. All right. The bee has been defeated. Now, here's the thing. I have no idea what kind of scene we caused. All right. That particular day at the beach. I'm pretty sure I tore Kate's rotator cuff in the process. And I think she's more terrified of bees than ever before because of my violent response in that particular moment. But as a dad, something was wrong, and I saw and realized that I had to do something. And you know, here's the thing. Every now and then, you're going to come across something in your life. You're going to hear something. You're going to see something with your very own eyes, and you're going to look at it, and you're going to say, you know what? That's not right. Something is wrong here. And someone has to do something about it. And why wouldn't it be me? Well, today and over the next few weeks, we're going to watch as one ordinary guy, a guy by the name of Nehemiah, a guy who, who hears about this desperate, desperate uh, situation in Jerusalem, and, and he stands up one day and he says to himself, you know what, someone has to do something about this. 
something's not right and why wouldn't this be me? And so what I want to do with our remaining time here this morning is I want to quickly, briefly show you three principles, three principles that I believe come right out of this story about how God wants to use ordinary people like you and me and, and how he can use people like you and me to change the world. And so we see it in Nehemiah. Who does God use? If you're taking notes and you want to write this down, the first thing is this. God uses people who will sit down and cry. God uses people who will sit down and cry. Look at, look at verse 4 with me. It says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. This is Nehemiah saying this. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I mean, what did Nehemiah do here? Well, he did the very thing that Jesus Christ did when he approached the city of Jerusalem on one occasion. You can read it for yourself in the Gospels. The, the story goes that as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, he sat on the side of a mountain and he looked down and he looked across the city and, and he experienced emotions in that moment. I mean, Jesus knew why he came. I mean, he knew that he came to this earth and he came to die. And as he looked out across the city and he saw all of the people, as he saw all of the occupants, I mean, he, he saw the brokenness, he saw the pain, he saw the hurt, and he saw all of the men and women who would cheer for him as he rode into the city, but the same men and women who would, would yell, crucify him. He, Jesus knew these people were like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Bible says that Jesus experienced emotion. Now, what's interesting about Nehemiah is this. He's 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. 1,000 miles. I mean, there are no airplanes. There are no trains. There are no cars. I mean, after hearing the news of Jerusalem's condition, it would have been so easy for Nehemiah to respond often like I do in similar situations, to look or to hear about a situation like this so far away and think to yourself, man, that stinks. Or my, my heart really breaks. You know, my, I mean, this is too bad. My heart goes out to them and then to click and just change the channel and, and sort of go on with life, you know. Or, or, or maybe if I'm really affected by something, I might say a prayer or maybe I'll send some money or something. But because of the distance, I'm not going to let the burden go too deep into my heart and have a greater effect on me. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I like that about myself. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty skilled at avoiding or at least managing pain. And, and you sort of have to as a pastor. I mean, you really do as you step in and out of so many painful situations over and over again. But my wife is not like that. And I say that in a good way. I mean, I'm a little more skilled at avoiding the pain than I might like. And so if I catch a story in the news or I catch an article or maybe I hear, you know, about something or I witness poverty or extreme hunger firsthand, I mean, it doesn't take long before I sort of just spring back and keep going on with my life. But not with Nehemiah. I mean, upon receiving the news from Jerusalem, he opened up his heart in this moment and he said, you know what? Something's not right here. Someone has to do something. Why wouldn't it be me? And what I want to do today is I want to just kind of push you a little bit with that question. I want to push you with that question today and just ask you this. What is it that breaks your heart? I mean, what is it that, that really breaks your heart on behalf of God? Well, what's maybe a concern that he's given you that when you think about it and you reflect on it and you meditate on it, you might realize that, you know what, that's the same concern that he has. I posed that question on Twitter and Facebook a couple of weeks ago. I just asked, hey, what is it that breaks your heart? And just invited people to kind of respond in that. And I heard things like, you know what, it's my friends and family who, who just go on with their lives with little or no need for Jesus whatsoever. I heard one person say, you know what, it's children who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or another that said, you know what, I'll tell you what breaks my heart. It's a, a country that appears to be moving farther and farther away from God. 
Someone said, you know, it's the millions of women and children that are trafficked into the sex slavery market, you know, around the world and even in our own city of Indianapolis. Someone said, you know, it's children that are caught in the middle of an ugly divorce. One person said it's those in prison who have little to no healthy support network, you know, from those on the inside or the outside to really help them, you know, through their process. Um, Jeff Smith, some of you might remember Jeff and Kim Smith were the pastors here. Jeff was a pastor here at Genesis about four or five years ago before I came on staff here. And uh, Jeff's a great guy. And if you were here, you know a little bit about his story that Jeff and Kim, they were called and, and God had a great purpose in mind in bringing them to Genesis Church. And they spent a couple of years here, but their time here was much shorter than they ever anticipated because God had laid a burden on their heart. He had laid a burden on their heart that one day they would go back to southern Missouri to this little town called West Plains, Missouri, a town of about 10,000 people, their hometown, to go back there and plant a church. But they came faithfully to Genesis and planned to, uh, to spend some extended time here, but the burden became so great. And I remember before moving here, listening to a, a sermon that Jeff gave from this stage where he just talked about uh, the story of another suicide in Missouri in West Plains, uh, the story of another divorce. And he just said, you know what? The pain, the burden has become too great for my wife and I. God is calling our family and we cannot deny it any longer. And we've got to go. And they went. And the great part of the story is that now just a little over two years into their church, they're reaching in this small town of 10,000 people, over 800 people. They've got two campuses as a church, you know, Genesis West Plains, Missouri, one of our partners in ministry. But just a great story of, you know, God has called us. This is the burden that he's given to us. Why wouldn't he want to do something? And why wouldn't he want to use me, use us in the process? You know, that's what I want for you. And that's what I want you to be praying and listening to over these next few weeks is I want to encourage you to open up your heart and to ask your, the question, what breaks my heart? I mean, what is it that breaks my heart? What is the burden that God has given to me? And I, and I want to just say this, don't squelch that burden. You know, don't try and put it out. I mean, if God has given you a burden for, for a person or for a group of people or for a problem, I want to invite you to keep listening and keep asking and keep searching. Now, you might look at your burden, you know, or maybe you might think to yourself, you know, why is it that God has given me this burden? The truth is that He might be calling you. He might be getting you ready. He might be calling you. He might be trying to get your attention, preparing you, you know, for some sort of action. And don't be surprised if others don't get it. I mean, don't be surprised if someone says that you're crazy along the way. I mean, for some of you, it might just be the reminder that God is getting you ready. He is getting you ready for service. He's calling you. He chose you. He, he gave you that burden for a reason. And God can use the burden in your life as a way of changing the life or lives for someone else. Someone has to do something. Why wouldn't it be you? What kind of people change the world? Well, as we look at the story of Nehemiah here, we see a man who's willing to sit down and cry. But next, like Nehemiah, if you're taking notes, number two is this. God uses those who kneel to pray. God uses those who kneel to pray. Let's look at verse four again. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so not only does he mourn, all right, not only does he mourn, not only does he fast, but he also prays. Hey, here's the thing. I said this at the very beginning. You know, God wants you, his desire is that you will put your trust in Jesus Christ. All right, that's his desire for your life. But he also wants to use you. He wants to use you and me as a way of a greater work in this world, a work that brings glory to his name. You know, because the truth is that God is always working. He is always working in your life and working through this church and through his people. 
I mean, he's working through many of you today. I mean, he's working through your work. He's working through your families. He's working through your homes, through the gifts that he's given to you. As Josh Hoosman, you know, explained last week, you know, from our stage here, you know, God works in our hurt and pain. And some of you know that so well because you've been so close to that hurt and pain. But, but thankfully, by the grace of God in your life, he has brought you through some healing. And because he's brought you through that experience and he's healed your heart, you, you've got a greater sense of compassion. You've got a greater sense of understanding for others who are going through similar things today. But here's what happens so often. All right, I, and I just think this is the truth. Most of the time, we feel something or, or we see a burden or we feel a burden or something. And maybe we want to do something. But then what happens? Life comes along, doesn't it? Life happens, our, our schedules, our, our routine, and then logic kicks in. And what does logic do? Well, it, it, it allows us to start hearing, you know, those words or those questions in our mind. Things like, what can you do about it? I mean, what do you possibly think that you could do about it? I mean, what, what could one person do? I mean, what, what could one family do or one connection group? You know, we, we, we hear things like that. Well, can I tell you what you can do? I mean, can I tell you where you can start? You can pray. And when I say pray, I'm not talking about the cop-out line pray. You know, you know like, like somebody asks you to do something, well, I'll, I'll pray about it. Which really means, no, I probably won't pray about it, but I don't really have a better excuse for you at this time. That's not what Nehemiah is doing here, all right? I mean, I, we're talking about truly praying about that. I mean, the most important thing that you and I can do is pray. You can go to God. You can pray to God. and You, you may think that you're just one person, but you're so much more than that. I love how one pastor says it. Craig Rochelle says it like this. You're one plus God. And that's an overwhelming majority. I mean, and that's so important to remember because, again, what typically happens so often is that God will show us something. He, he might burden you with something in your life. He'll, he'll give us the what, all right? But here's where we get lost. We get lost in the how. And so we'll say, you know what? I think I know what God is calling me to do or what I'd really like to do if I could. I just don't know how I could ever do something like that. I mean, how could I ever move my family? Or how could I ever find the money? Or how could I ever get the schooling or the training that I might need to do something like that? But can I just tell you something? The God who is capable of taking care of the what part in your life, He is more than capable of taking care of the how part in your life too. He, he's able to do that. And we're going to see that a little bit over the next couple of weeks. In fact, let me just tell you where we're going over the next few weeks in this series together. And again, I'm praying that over the next few weeks, God is going to do something in your heart. He's going to stir something. He's going to ignite something in you. And next week, I want to talk to you about how I believe that God is preparing some of you and getting you ready to take on some greater leadership in your life. And that might be leadership in your family. That might be leadership in your workplace. It might be leadership in this church or in this community. Now, you might hear something like that and say, leader, uh, I'm not a leader. You know, I, I, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, I, I work at Walmart. You know, I, I mow yards for a living. I'm just a sophomore in college. I mean, leader, really? I mean, what can I do? Well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can be a leader. God can raise you up to be a leader, and you can be a world changer. I mean, if you're a child of God, all right, then you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God can turn you into a leader. Week three, we're going to talk about opposition, because Nehemiah faced a lot of opposition. I'll just warn you right now, I'm going to tell you this right up front. The moment that you start listening to God and even hint at responding to the burden that he's put on your heart, the enemy's going to get involved. 
the enemy will get involved and he'll try and throw you off course. And so we're going to talk about staying faithful in the opposition. And week four, we're going to wrap up this series talking about how life and distractions, even good ones, can throw us off course of the life that God wants for each of us. And as we'll see with Nehemiah, I mean, even in the distractions, even in the opposition, he was able to remain laser focused. Because here's the thing. When you come before God with this attitude of, I am ready, I am willing, I want to serve you, you can change the world. God can use you. He can use me to change the world. I mean, God is capable of doing some great things in your life and through your life. And for Nehemiah, everything that he did was saturated in prayer. In fact, read the book of Nehemiah this week. All right, And one of the things that you'll find as you read the entire book is it's really just one long prayer offered up to God. I mean, God gave Nehemiah a burden and then quickly turned him into a praying leader. And just to give you a little preview, you know, God did this great work in Nehemiah's life. He gave him this burden and he's going to return all the way back to Jerusalem. And with God's help, Nehemiah and the people, they're going to rebuild the wall, a project that should have taken probably at least several years. They're going to rebuild the wall in 52 days. I mean, God used an ordinary guy in Nehemiah. And if God can use a guy by the name of Nehemiah, a cupbearer, then he can use you and me too. And so here's your assignment this week. I mean, you get homework, all right? You've got some homework to do here. Your question is this. What's your burden? What's my burden? What breaks my heart is it breaks God. I mean, what, what's the one thing? If you knew that you couldn't fail that you would do with confidence to change or to bring glory to the name of God. I, I want to invite you to talk to your spouse about that this week. Uh, maybe find some friends to have that conversation with, you know, even in your own personal reflection, maybe with your connection group. Just sit down and ask that question. What is it that breaks my heart? And then what is the part that I believe that God might want me to play in that? I'll tell you what mine is just as much as I can here in a, in a minute, you know, how, how does God want to use me? How does he want to use my family, you know, just in my personal life as a pastor? Well, my passion is for people who are far from God, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I, I believe that that's a work that God is still doing in me. He is still growing. He is still stretching my heart in this, but it, it affects so many of the things that I do and needs to affect even more. You know, just the way that I live, the people that I'm spending time with, the, the words that I choose, the readiness, you know, that I, I'm trying to always have in mind in any conversations that I might have with someone else. I mean, it affects the way that my wife and I live, the decisions that we make, even how we've used the financial resources that God has given to us. It has an impact on my preaching. That every time I stand up here on the stage, you know, I just have in mind that there might be one person who is here and this is their only shot they're going to give to a church. And I have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in mind in everything that we do, all that we do. I mean, it ha it, I know that's a shared passion with some of you. And so it's impacting, you know, the reason why we're launching a second campus in Carmel. So that everybody can know that we can help people find their way back to God. And, and God is using us in that, not just me. It's not for me. It's all for God. It's all for his work. And it's all for his glory. You and I, we can make a difference for God. If you'll let him, God can use you. And you can use me to change this world. So who does God use? He uses people who sit down and cry. He uses people who kneel and pray. And finally, the last thing is this. God uses those who stand and act. He uses those who stand and act. You know, Nehemiah spent significant time in prayer, but there came a point when he had to quit having prayer meetings, all right? It was time to do something. And so he went to work one day. He went to King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, and he says, hey, I need your help. 
I mean, I've got a problem. I know you need someone to guard your sippy cup, all right? But there is a greater problem, you know, that God has put on my heart that he is calling me to respond to. Now, you need to understand that this is a bold move on behalf of a servant. I mean, if you you look at this conversation in Nehemiah 2, he goes before the king to taste the wine. He he gave the cup to the king. And the scriptures help us understand that the king looked at him. And remember, Nehemiah has been fasting. He's been weeping. And so the king looks at him. He's like, dude, you're a mess. Like, evidently, Nehemiah was an ugly crier, all right? I mean, you know what I mean when I say an ugly crier? Like, those people that just, if they shed a few tears, I mean, their faces get all puffy. I mean, there is no hiding it, you know, whatsoever. You know any people like this? You know any people that try and fan their tears, you know, like before they come? Like, if they just move their hand fast enough, maybe they can wave them off? How many of you have any ugly criers in your house? You probably shouldn't answer that one. Probably shouldn't put your hand up for that question. Well, evidently, Nehemiah is an ugly crier. The king notices, and he's like, hey, I've never seen you like this before. And again, this is a bold move, because if you went before the king, you had no right to take your personal emotions into his throne room. I mean, most would have been killed for such a move, but Nehemiah is visibly upset, and the king looks at him, and he's like, dude, what's the matter? Nehemiah 2, verse 3, he says this, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He says, hey, basically, I'm miserable. All right, there's a problem and I can't get this burden out of my mind. Verse four, the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. You know, even notice here, even in this conversation with king, he's prayed up. All right, even now he's in a conversation with God. Here's what he says. If it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah is like, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to wait on someone else to do something about this. I'm not just going to sit around and whine and hope that somebody comes along to make a difference here. But I believe this is my burden, that God has called me for a reason. My misery has become my new ministry. Something has to change. Someone has to do something about this. And why wouldn't it be me? And again, that's exactly what we're going to see happen. I believe and I hope in this church over these next few weeks that God is going to stir up a burden. He's going to stir up a passion in your life. Maybe something you've, you've never experienced before. Maybe a recurring theme that comes back over and over again. Something you've known about for a long time. God is stirring something up in you. Something needs to change. And God is going to use you to do something about it. Now remember, the moment that you even hint at responding, the enemy is going to get involved. Even as you walk out of these doors today, the enemy is going to get involved. And he's going to say things like, no, no, you can't. There is nothing you can do about this. You've got nothing to offer. Your life is a mess right now. What do you think that God might want to do something to an ordinary nobody like you? But remember, God is more than capable. And the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he can do some amazing, some awesome things in your life and in mine. You know, I can't tell you how I just, enough how much I love watching people get a burden for something and then follow God obediently into it. I think about people like Brandon and Katie Hutchins who from this church and are serving in Haiti today with Nehemiah Vision Ministries. They've committed a year of their life to live in Haiti, to work with the people there. And they went on several trips with people from Genesis. And I often wonder, I mean, what trip 
Let me just longer converse. Uh, was it was it all the way realize this? Verse and ago, God was here off in difficult places to see things firsthand, and it was through that process that God just grew this burden in her heart to where now she realizes and knows, you know what, someone has to do something about this. Why wouldn't it be me? And so later on this summer, she's going to be moving to India to work as a foster mom in an orphanage. I think of a story of a woman from our church who volunteers in her children's classes at a local elementary school. And one day she went to the teacher and just said, you know what, I want to do something more. What more can I contribute? Are there a couple of kids in your class that just need some extra time, some extra attention? And the teacher said, yeah, now that you say it, there are two. And again, there was just this moment of the, the burden is so great. Someone has to do something about this. You know, why wouldn't it be me? And so she's spending extra time with this person today. I, I think about one of our connection groups and, and knowing how stressful of a time of year it can be for college students with finals. You know, they decided, hey, let's put together a bunch of care packages and send them out to as many college students as we can. Again, it was just this shared burden. Someone has to do something about it. Why wouldn't it be us? I think about that with our Carmel campus. And one of the things that is so fun to watch is all of the people, all the men and women and students and children that are saying, hey, I believe that God has been calling me. I, I believe in some crazy sort of way that God has been getting me ready for this. Someone has to do something. Why wouldn't it be me? We saw this in our house back just a month or so ago. My little boy, Luke, is six. And he came home from school one day and he said to mom, he said, mom, one of the things that I've noticed is that there are a bunch of kids in our class that don't know how to tie their own shoes. Mom, would you teach me how to tie my shoes so that I can go back and be a help to the teacher every day? I mean, this is a six-year-old. Now, we might look at something like that and think, oh, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. But just a burden. Someone has to do something. Why wouldn't it be me? You know, you and I can't do everything but we can do something. You can't adopt every orphan, but you could adopt one. Um, you can't help every single mom in your community, but there might be one on your street that God is calling you to. You can't disciple every new believer in this church, but there might be one or two that God is getting you ready to reach out to. You can't read at every school, but you could read at your kid's school. You can't lead every connection group, but you could lead one. And you can't feed every hungry kid in this world, but there might be one, there might be 10, there might be 20 who you can make sure get fed every single day. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I hope you'll embrace that truth and that sort of living and faith in your life today. I hope, that's, I hope and pray that that is the kind of faith and thinking and living that defines you and me and our church. What's your burden? And what does God want to do through you to change the world? Let's pray.